What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Log Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon. Uh, this is Ted Hart, uh, live from the nation's capital. Today is Tuesday, February 22nd. We've got a great show for you today. It is finally sunny and somewhat nice here in the nation's capital. Uh, however, we had a bit of an ice and snowstorm overnight, so most schools are out today. I'm uh, looking forward to our page two expert today, who is a good friend of mine, Steve Schatz. I will introduce him to you a little bit later, but he is a nationally recognized expert in telephone fundraising, and we're going to be talking today about his book, Effective Telephone Fundraising. But as always, here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. Now, don't forget, you're going to have the opportunity to ask questions live of our page two expert, Steve Schatz, by dialing in to 347-324-3080. Just press the number one on your keypad. That will raise your hand here on the switchboard, and we'll know that you want to ask a question. You can also join us over in the chat room, and you can ask questions there. Or if you're shy, feel free to email me at tedhart.com at tedhart.com. First up here on the radio links that you'll find at tedhartradio.com, you will find an excellent article over uh, in Fortune magazine. And this is how LinkedIn will fire up your career. As you know, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we are big fans of LinkedIn. LinkedIn being the third most important thing that we feel that charities should be doing online. The first is developing a well-designed website. Second is a solid guide star strategy. And third being a LinkedIn strategy. And part of that is understanding how LinkedIn can help your organization and can help you personally. And what this article will share with you is how to make the most of your LinkedIn profile. There are more than 60 million members who have logged in to create profiles, upload their employment histories, and build connections with people they know. Visitors to the LinkedIn site have jumped 31% from last year to 17.6 million site visitors in February alone. They include your customers, your donors, and most importantly, as I've shared several times on the show and share in my lectures, it is very important to understand the power of LinkedIn and your ability to not only connect but also impress foundation executives, corporate executives, and high net worth individuals. Uh, so read about it over on radio.com. You'll be interested to know that the average member on LinkedIn is a college-educated 43-year-old person making in excess of $107,000. More than a quarter are senior executives, and every single Fortune 500 company is represented on LinkedIn. So those are very impressive statistics, and certainly 
point to the importance of LinkedIn. Read all about it over at tedhartradio.com. Next up here on uh, the radio links uh, over here at the Nonprofit Coach is I really, really appreciate Jay Dolan's uh, posting over on the anti-social media blog. Uh, he's got a very honest uh, appraisal of why no one reads your blog. And there's a link over uh, at the radio links at tedhartradio.com. And uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to use the language that he uses, but there are five reasons uh, that people are not reading your blogs, they're not reading your content online. Uh, and he uh, points those out to you so that you can uh, focus a little bit more of your energy on those things that work online and those things that are going to help your organization be well-positioned on the internet. So read all about that at tedhartradio.com on the radio links for today's show, and that's an article by Jay Dolan from the Anti-Social Media. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, I want to draw your attention once again to the 2011 YouTube Nonprofit Video Awards, and I do have an audio clip for you, and I want to encourage all of our listeners who have created videos for their nonprofit organizations to consider submitting for this year's awards ceremony. Did your nonprofit make a video in 2010? Then now's your chance to enter the Do-Gooder Nonprofit Video Awards. Show the world all the great work you did for your important issues in 2010. Issues like the arts, health, environment, human rights, disaster relief, and so much more. Nonprofits of all sizes are welcome to enter their best work. We will award prizes to small, medium, and large organizations, as well as a special award for the best videos produced with a thrifty budget. Winning organizations will receive $10,000 in grants generously provided by the Cates Foundation, free registration for the NTC 2012 conference, video products from Flip Video, and your winning video featured on the homepage of YouTube. Winners will be announced at the 2011 Nonprofit Technology Conference in Washington, D.C. In order to participate, you must be a member of the YouTube Nonprofit Program. So if you haven't applied for this great free service, do it now. Show us the best and brightest nonprofit videos of 2010. Make sure that you do file uh, your applications uh, for this year's. Uh, the close of submissions is March 2nd. You can find that information over at the radio links at tedhartradio.com, or you can go directly to youtube.com forward slash Nonprofit Video Awards. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, I want to draw attention to an announcement that's going to be made today, and I am monitoring uh, over using my trusted Hootsuite.com uh, service, which of course we endorse Hootsuite here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, so check it out, but we are monitoring the Kindness Channel. Uh, challenge, I'm sorry, over uh, USA Today. Uh, back in January, they kicked off the Kindness Channel, a whole new type of challenge where five young difference makers are flexing their civic muscle for a specific philanthropic goal that they've set. Uh, we're following this, and you can follow it as well, at hashtag Kindness Challenge, and today the winner will be announced uh, on pound uh, or hashtag Kindness Challenge, and you can read all about it over at tedhartradio.com. Next up here on uh, page one is uh, really, I have to tell you, you've got to check this out. Uh, this is really a fantastic uh, posting over on SlideShare. Now, this is coming to you uh, from a link that we're providing to you uh, from jefflivingston.com. And what he's put together is the good, the bad, and the ugly of online cause marketing. What I really appreciate uh, about this uh, presentation, and he has uh, the slide share embedded into uh, his blog here today, is the honesty um, that he uses in presenting uh, what works and what doesn't work. This is from uh, a presentation that he delivered at the Cause Marketing Forum uh, on February 15th, so just last week. And you can read through what Jeff has, uh, has presented here about uh, the good. He, he notes the good is uh, Amex uh, and their Small Business Saturday. Uh, the bad, he says, is Groupon, uh, which has gotten a lot of good press. 
but uh, uh, read all about Groupon. Uh, but then the ugly, and this is, this is really interesting, is one of our own charitable organizations. The ugly is the Susan B. Komen, uh, Susan G. Komen, uh, and the KFC Buckets for the Cure program. And he outlines uh, why this really did not work. Uh, the blogosphere, as he says, blew up uh, against uh, uh, Susan G. Komen uh, and the KFC engagement, and Komen ignored it. Uh, and he points out, and these are very, very good tips about what to do and what not to do uh, when you may run into a PR issue with one of your fundraising programs. Uh, and, uh, and one of the issues is he felt that they were really not authentic in their approach. Of course, what they were looking for is money from KFC, but they weren't truly engaged as a partner, and I think that's part of what uh, we want to learn from. So check this out over at the radio links at tedhartradio.com, the good, the bad, and the ugly of online cause marketing. Uh, check that out over at tedhartradio.com. Radio.com. Just a reminder that as we start moving towards uh, uh, page two in our page two expert today, uh, you will have an opportunity to ask questions live of our expert today. And I see that uh, we do have someone on the switchboard with their hand raised. Just hang in there. We'll be getting to uh, page two soon. Uh, but uh, also you can ask questions over in the chat room today and email us at tedhartradio.com. Next thing I've got here on page one is to draw attention to our own LinkedIn success uh, here at tedhartradio.com. Of course, we are supported by the People to People Fundraising Newsletter, which you can subscribe to at p2pfundraising.org. That's the letter P, the number two, the letter P in fundraising.org. And on that, uh, that site, you will see a link to our people-to-people -people fundraising LinkedIn group that we host. And one of the things that we had in our newsletter this week, for those of you who are uh, loyal readers of the P2P fundraising newsletter, is that we were fast approaching 1,000 members on the P2P fundraising group over at LinkedIn. Of course, that was very exciting. When the newsletter went out, we were at 995 members in the P2P fundraising group. We have now surpassed that, and I'm very pleased uh, to share with you today that we have 1,002 members as of the last time we checked today. Uh, that was about an hour ago. And the official 1,000th member of the P2P fundraising LinkedIn group is, uh, and you're going to love this name, what, what better name could you imagine to have than Brian Brilliant. Brian Brilliant, who is the Chief Operating Officer over at BMD Direct Marketing in Alexandria, Virginia, is the official 1,000th member of the P2P Fundraising LinkedIn group. Welcome uh, to uh, Mr. Brilliant and all the other folks. And I have to say, just to play on your last name, a very smart move to join the P2P fundraising uh, group over at LinkedIn. Of course, that's free of charge. You can join, and by joining, you now will be in a community of over 1,000 executives from around the world who come together, learn from each other, post questions, share information, uh, and learn from each other over on LinkedIn. With that, I'm very, very pleased uh, to say that uh, that's what we've got for you here over on the, uh, the links over at Ted Hart radio.com and we are ready now for page two. On page two, don't forget you can call in today and ask questions live of our page two expert Steve Schatz at 347-324-3080. Steve Schatz, CFRE, has over 15 years, has for over 15 years uh, been an expert in telephone fundraising. He originally hails from the Midwest and became involved uh, in collegiate administration and fundraising as far back as 1979. Uh, he was hired for the administrative uh, purposes over at Temple University's first telephone fundraising program. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I think he's been a CFRE for over 15 years, but he certainly has a lot uh, more years of experience uh, in fundraising. The first time that a large-scale telephone campaign had been employed by a major public university, and of course Steve Schatz was right there 
helping manage that program over at Temple University. In 1982, he co-founded a firm that was to become known as the Development Center. At the time, it became one of the largest and most respected telephone fundraising firms in the country, serving education, arts, and cultural organizations along with healthcare organizations, which is where I came to know Steve Schatz. I hired uh, Steve Schatz to run the fundraising telephone programs when I was the uh, vice president at Lakeside Health System and when I moved on to be the chief development officer at Johns Hopkins Bayview Campus, uh, we also had uh, Steve and the Development Center run our telephone programs there quite successfully. Since 19, uh, or 2008, uh, Steve has widely, wisely uh, retired from uh, telephone fundraising, uh, having brought a great deal of success to many, many organizations. In 2000, he helped me launch the e Philanthropy Foundation and was my right-hand person uh, for helping maneuver through starting the movement for online fundraising, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world. This was the first organization in the world developed uh, specifically to promote ethical uh, and efficient use of the Internet for philanthropy. Over the years, Steve has been uh, known for his uh, success and his willingness to mentor others. He is an excellent educator and has reached out and has helped scores and scores of charities succeed. He wrote effective telephone fundraising uh, to uh, bring about a learning opportunity for nonprofits that could not necessarily hire him. And it is my pleasure to welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach my friend, Steve Schott. Steve, welcome. Well, thank you very much, Ted. Uh, I assume that you're uh, digging out uh, as the nation's capital from the snowfall. We had uh, a little bit up here in Philadelphia, but uh, I'm grateful I'm calling in on a good old-fashioned telephone uh, telephone line to your show, and uh, very pleased to be on with you. My goodness, you're using a landline, are you? Yes. Wow, I hear people use those. That's uh, that's great. Uh, well, anyway, telephone uh, fundraising, of course, is an area of expertise that you honed over years and years, and you have uh, helped the nonprofit sector by uh, now offering uh, this uh, this new book, Effective Telephone Fundraising, uh, which is available on Amazon uh, for our listeners uh, to be able to uh, to find that. It's also available today at Ted Hart Radio. Com. So, Steve, let's start off with the the very earliest days. If you can share with me the very earliest days back at Temple University, where you were just starting one of the foremost uh, trailblazers in telephone fundraising. What is it that you learned then uh, that that then served you much later? Well, I think what I learned primarily was that the telephone, as an outreach tool, as a fundraising medium, can work for virtually any constituency. Um, you know, prior to my work at Temple and all the way back 1980-81, uh, the telephone had been used fairly sparingly in, uh, by nonprofit organizations, and uh, uh, some of the trailblazers there were uh, major private universities, specifically the, uh, the Ivy Leagues, in, in reaching out to their constituents to enable a broader outreach for capital campaign fundraising. Uh, when I was at Temple and, and got hired to uh, spearhead a project for their capital campaign, it was the first time that uh, the telephone and a large-scale outreach had ever been attempted uh, in a public university. And uh, uh, it was somewhat of a question mark whether it was going to work or not. But we found that if you reach out to people in a personal way, that if you relate to them on their level, based on their experience, and, and find the connections that, that still tie them to their organization, be it a college or university or another kind of nonprofit organization, that the telephone can work very effectively as a one-to-one, person-to-person communication medium. Well, and that's and that's what's so interesting about uh, about the telephone. I think uh, over many years, of course, I've lectured, and I often hear clients and those that I may be lecturing sort of push back on telephone fundraising that it's very intrusive and uh, because oftentimes board members will make the decision because they don't like to get phone calls, then they're going to stop their charity from making phone calls. And uh, would you say that's a mistake? Yes, I do. Um, I 
even today, uh, with the advent of uh, Internet fundraising and the um, use of email very effectively to raise money, I feel that the telephone has an important role in the overall uh, arsenal of, of uh, media that a nonprofit executive has to reach their constituents. When you look at, at you know, what, are, what are the tools in the, in the toolkit, uh, you know, back before there was telephone fundraising, there was the direct mail, um, uh, the direct mail phenomenon, and that was uh, very effective and had a great run. But then it became uh, declining in its uh, effectiveness over the years as people got tired of quote junk mail. And then the telephone came along, and initially it was pretty easy to raise money over the telephone. Uh, people were not used to receiving telephone calls uh, uh, from their organizations, and you know, found that they took the opportunity to chat a little bit about uh, what was going on with the organization on a one-to-one basis with a representative making the call. And then, uh, of course, you know, before all of that, the most uh, effective and still, I think, the, the best way of raising money, if you can afford to do it, is person-to-person live visits with constituents. Uh, either you're visiting them at their home or their office or over a luncheon meeting or, but, uh, or, or at special events. Uh, and now, most recently, uh, and at uh, you know, quite a cost savings, you have the medium that you've been most involved with and have been a real trailblazer yourself uh, with, and that's the Internet. And uh, to reach a constituent in a personal way uh, that, uh, through, through email is uh, probably the most cost-effective way of doing things, but... Not everybody responds to their emails. Uh, not everybody um, opens up every email. And I think, uh, and you may argue with me on this, that uh, uh, there may be some declining effectiveness in email fundraising as people you know, get their mailboxes full, like in the days of the direct mail medium, and uh, don't open or consider every appeal that's uh, made to them by the nonprofit organizations. So, how, how do you how do you work around clutter? How do you how do you break through uh, the noise, and one thing I argue in the book is that you reach out in as personal a way as you possibly can, and that includes the telephone, and if you can use the telephone as a one-to-one communication tool where there's interaction, not just making a pitch and using it in a one-way communication uh, format, but actually having a dialogue with constituents you can achieve many of the, the, the same kinds of results that you would in a one-to-one personal visit. Well, there's so many things that I like about your, your book, and, and of course we, we do encourage our listeners uh, to, uh, to get a copy of Effective Telephone uh, Fundraising. On page three, you raise this issue of telephone marketing being, as, as you say, quote, uh, one of the arrows in your quiver. And so right. is, it, is it correct that you view telephone fundraising as part of an integrated mature fundraising program and not just a standalone? Absolutely. Um, and when I say arrows in the quiver, what are, what are the ways that you can reach out to a constituent uh, on a one-to-one basis? Well, obviously one way is the personal visit. That's the most costly. Uh, but also undeniably the most effective. Uh, the next level is is uh, a piece of mail, and over the years, you know, we've seen mail, the capabilities of mail, increase in personalization. I remember back in the the old days in 1981 uh, when uh, word processors were you know the you know the size of uh, large electrical generators and uh, operated at a, uh, probably outputting about four letters a minute. Uh, but you were able to personalize letters and uh, write, dear Mr. Smith, and even possibly bring other fields into the body of the letter. Then the next uh, increasing in personalization but also cost was, is the telephone medium. And there it's a lot less expensive than personal visit, but a lot more expensive than direct mail. But if you use it in a personal way, then you can, uh, uh, you can achieve, uh, like I argue, uh, similar results as you would in a personal visit. And then lastly, the, the new medium that is all the rage and uh, is absolutely the least expensive uh, and uh, the way you can reach in a somewhat personal way to targeted uh, constituents is the 
uh, internet medium and specifically uh, email. So how do you balance all of that? And I, I address this. So it is about balance and it, it's about in integration. Steve, I do want to remind our listeners that they can call in and ask a question at 347-324-3080. Uh, we do have a patient listener who has been here on the switchboard uh, for a few moments now, and I do want to bring in our first caller today. Uh, caller, you're live here with Steve Schatz on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, you're calling in from area code 212. Hi, Steve. Thank you for your um, input. I'm supervising a phone-a-thon from Israel to call um, our lower-end donors in the state's local time. So the hours of the calls will be Israel time from midnight until 5 in the morning, and we'll be right. calling donors at the appropriate time in this country. Do you have, And it's students making the calls. Do you have any suggestions of um, you know, your input to that program and what should be said to the donors? Yes. Um, one of the things I, I strongly believe in is uh, using that telephone not merely as a solicitation tool, but taking the opportunity of that telephone contact to strengthen the relationship and tie that that constituent has with your organization. So I would, I would uh, train your students uh, to... Uh, take a, a few brief moments, as much as a minute of the phone call, uh, to reestablish why those lower-end donors became donors in the first place, why they believe in your organization, what connects them, and um, you know, stressing that commonality so that they feel that you're that that you're all part of the same team. And then on that basis, when you've made that connection when you've reestablished those ties, when you've developed that rapport, then, then they can ask for a renewal of a gift or an upgrade. Thank you very much. Some of the most successful phone calls, Steve, that, uh, that I've, I've uh, been part of have been those that have specifically sought to do what you're pointing out, uh, and that is to really establish the rapport rather than just simply reach for the gift. Right. That's one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book. I uh, essentially have been uh, retired since '98 until uh, uh, Ted, Ted pulled me out to uh, uh, help help launch the the, uh, uh, the philanthropy foundation. But you know, I've, I've gotten more than my share uh, on the receiving end of uh, fundraising phone calls at, at home here, and uh, it was in my judgment that the quality of telephone communication has somewhat slipped over the years. And so that's why I wrote this book. It, 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 uh, it's the only book, uh, evidently, written on the subject of telephone fundraising. It deals with scripting and the content of the telephone call and communication specifically. And one of the things, I do take a point of view in this book, one of the things I advocate is that you use the telephone call as a rapport building, as a constituent development tool so that you're not merely browbeating your constituents to raise that extra $100 or $150 from them this year, that you're reconnecting them with your organization, that you're showing them in the course of that phone call that you're sharing values, that uh, what, you brought, what brought them to your organization in the first place and made them a constituent is what you in common care about. And you build that bedrock of trust, then you have an excellent basis upon which to ask for a gift. And Steve, for our caller who's still uh, live with us uh, here, uh, it seems to me that one of the values, um, caller, that you have for this particular phone-a-thon is the value of having students and not to lose sight of the fact that they're not just fundraisers, but they are actually a person who the donor might wish to connect with, might like to learn a little bit more about the experience of being a student and giving them the opportunity to feel like they reconnect to the organization at a level that they've not been able to do by just simply sending in gifts. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I, I deal with in the book is uh, what, uh, uh, you know, the book specifically is about what makes a good telephone call and then, how do you how do you construct a quote script or a call guide to effectively help your telephone communicators 
make that contact with a constituent and ask for a gift successfully. Um, but it's that, uh, you know, what, what kind of, of communicator makes the best caller? In my opinion, it's um, a fun telephone fundraiser that has as much a po as possible a peer relationship or a perceived peer relationship with the potential donor. Now, if it's not someone exactly like the potential donor in terms of demographic or age or uh, experience, then you, you find someone who can share the values and present the case compellingly. And oftentimes that is a student. For example, in, in university fundraising and uh, uh, independent school fundraising, uh, we found that student age communicators could work very well because they uh, can uh, uh, you know, relate to the experiences that that uh, past donor or constituent had when they were students, and they can talk about things that are happening currently on the campus or in the organization, and then develop a connection in that way. I think the key thing, Ted, here is you want to develop that connection as early in the phone call as you possibly can. If you can develop that connection, you will get a gift. Yeah, and Steve, I, I, I make note and, and share with uh, with uh, all of our listeners and, uh, and our caller. And caller, thank you very much uh, for your wonderful question. That was uh, very, very good and helped us uh, jump off on a couple of different points here. But on page 239 of your book, you do give step-by-step -step instructions on how to develop your own script. And I think that particularly for this caller and other listeners uh, today, the process that you put together, and you immediately move into developing that rapport that you want to introduce yourself, certainly identify the, the prospect, but early on, before you're even making the case, before your first proposal, you're making the emphasis on, uh, on that report, and I think that is uh, an excellent point. Steve, we do have another caller uh, here today, and uh, so I want to bring our, our caller in. Uh, caller, you're calling in from uh, area code 973, uh, and I'd like you to introduce yourself here on the Nonprofit Coach. Hello, my name is uh, Lindsay and I work at a theater and we use the same callers um, to sell tickets as we do for fundraising and I was wondering um, if you could give your thoughts about that, um, maybe suggestions about how we could best integrate fundraising into selling tickets or um, whether you thought it would be um, perhaps more cost effective to have uh, a single tele uh, fundraising calls. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a, a really good Question, Lindsay. Uh, we uh, did over the years do a little bit of subscription um, uh, sales. Very different kind of phone call uh, from uh, philanthropy, and uh, I think that the attempt to combine a subscription sales call with a fundraising phone call uh, is is not the optimal way in order to produce optimal results. Um, Based on my experience in dealing with performing arts organizations, which well, I, I love, I love working with performing arts organizations. By the way, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was uh, a tangible kind of uh, uh, kind of thing that that uh, uh, where uh, you could see, you know, the the, the, the product of the nonprofit organization uh, in in full view. But um, uh, usually. Uh, from what I, I could see in dealing with performing arts organizations, it was always the marketing department that took precedence. So, mm -hmm. you know, whether, whether it was their direct mail or whether it was uh, their telephone outreach efforts to make uh, to make sales, I mean, that was the bread and butter of the organization. And the development uh, department always, and I think rightfully so, uh, took, you know, the second or third step down in the hierarchy. <laughs> Let let the uh, the ticket sales uh, 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 go their route. Um, obviously, you don't have a constituency if you don't have people in the seats. So, uh, my advice, I think, on that, um, you might be able to, after you you do make a uh, a hard won sale uh, in the course of a uh, 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 you know subscription sales campaign as sort of a tag on at the end, uh, uh, would you like to take this opportunity to 
uh, add uh, a little bit to our annual fund. Its ticket sales only cover about half of the expenses of, of putting on the performances. Even fifty, a hundred dollars uh, would 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 that be convenient for you, Mr. Smith? And uh, and that's about the best you can do. Uh, and uh, at that stage of a call, because uh, a subscription sales call, and that's not what I wrote the book about. That's another book potentially, but uh, a subscription sales call. Takes a lot of time, and you're you're working people in the seats, and you're you're uh, 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 trying to uh, convince them of the benefits of subscribing, as opposed to just single ticket buying and coming and going as they please. Uh, that takes a lot of time, and you only have in in the telephone medium, and I address this in the book as well, uh, a limited window. No matter how skilled a communicator you are, a limited time window in dealing and speaking with a constituent. So. My advice would be to run a separate campaign, uh, to uh, do it well into the season so that your telephone fundraisers have a single mission and then they can talk to your your subscribers and your single-ticket buyers about what a wonderful season they're having and how much they're enjoying the plays and uh, you know, which, which was their favorite play, what was their favorite actress and and then on that basis, have that, that excitement going, and then ask for a philanthropic gift. And hopefully they'll be so delighted with what you're doing that that will be a, a very successful separate program. Then you're, you're, you're keeping the apples suffer from the oranges, and the subscription people and the marketing people aren't getting too upset with you. Thank you. Well, well and, and back to the, the earlier callers, uh, the advice that you gave there, uh, Steve, uh, certainly giving them an opportunity to feel connected to someone uh, who's part of the program can be very valuable as well, right? Oh, you know, absolutely. And uh, the, the communicators you have making the phone calls, I, I, I assume, are uh, employed by the, um, uh, the, the theater or the, the performing arts organization, and uh, they're able to uh, uh, use the uh, pronoun we, we here at the theater are uh, very excited about our season, and uh, uh, we're really dedicated to the mission of being, bringing great theater to um, our community, and uh, uh, really make a connection as uh, you know, one one citizen to another for something, uh, an organization, hopefully that is a real civic asset uh, to your community. Does that help you, Lindsay? Oh, very much. Thank you. And uh, you're calling from uh, northern New Jersey, is that correct? Yes. Great, great. Well, thank you for uh, joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach and giving us an opportunity to explore uh, Steve Schott's expertise uh, specifically to areas that are of interest uh, to you. Thank you, Lindsay. This is great. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck Steve, with coming the back subscription to... campaign there. Lindsay. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I'm just saying good luck with Lindsay and uh, subscription campaigns and uh, fundraising. Um, arts organization fundraising is a lot harder than uh, higher education, uh, and uh, so uh, I really re appreciate and respect the people that are involved in uh, uh, arts organization administration and fundraising. And, Steve, isn't this an opportunity to also consider further integration as well, where, a, for instance, a direct mail appeal can introduce the, 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 uh, the telephone, uh, uh, and then as a subscription is obtained, the, an email confirmation can confirm the subscription, but also suggest that you know, something like you know, many people who you know, have uh, completed their subscription have also chosen to support you know, our you know, whatever fund. Uh, and give them an opportunity to to make that additional philanthropic gift on top of their their uh, their subscription without necessarily piling too much onto the call. Yeah, absolutely, Ted. That's a, an excellent observation. And the uh, successful uh, performing arts organizations that that I'm involved in, uh, with will always do that uh, in their uh, their mail follow-ups. So good good observation there. Steve, you had mentioned um, uh, that when you started back at Temple, I think if I, if I heard you correctly, that some of the early uh, days of telephone outreach were really in support of capital campaigns. That's correct. Uh, and uh, Back in those days, uh, it wasn't thought cost-effective to use the telephone 
for an annual giving program. Uh, at the capital campaign where one was soliciting gifts over a three or four or five-year period even, uh, the cost of that telephone call, which uh, you know was expressed in, in terms of dollars, maybe as much as uh, five to nine dollars per uh, completed uh, solicitation, that was a, you were able to amortize that over uh, over a period of uh, of uh, you know several uh, several years. But with an annual campaign and uh, the cost of uh, a telephone call in those days, and remember that was before. Uh, Long distance uh, right, uh, deregulation and long distance calls were, were pretty expensive back in those days. Uh, you couldn't cover the cost even in a successful campaign of a single phone call. Well, over the years, as the cost of making telephone calls decline, long distance rates decline, uh, uh, improvements in, in, in call technology enabling uh, communicators to make more calls than, than in the old days of. Uh, of the uh, the dial telephone, <laughs> remember those, and then also the successor, the uh, touch tone telephone. Um, uh, the costs of making phone calls declined somewhat, and then um, uh, organizations begin to look at the telephone as uh, a potentially effective medium medium for asking for that annual gift, and then furthermore, in looking at annual funds as being the the, the feeder uh, for uh, uh, asking for, for higher gifts, capital gifts, or, or uh, uh, planned giving gifts, then it, the, the present value of a donor uh, took on a new meaning so that some of the objectives of telephone fundraising campaigns were specifically just to build that donor list. And what we found was that we were able in one-year campaigns, annual campaigns, to cover more than the cost of the of the uh, telephone program, that is, of the telephone call specifically, with the collected income that came in. So that made the justification for annual giving, using the telephone for annual giving, a, kind of a no-brainer. And then even still, even if in programs that, that lost a little bit of money on that first year annual uh, income, annual campaign income against expense. If you looked at that, the value of that donor over a longer period, knowing that it's going to cost much less to renew that donor as to acquire it, that made even more sense. So, uh, you know, I deal with this a little bit in the book. It's uh, how do you use the telephone effectively in a tactical sense, and it depends on your objectives. If your objective is to simply build your donor list to acquire a list of donors, then you have a different set of evaluation criteria for what you're doing in the telephone medium. If, you're, if your objective is, you know, bar none, uh, no other uh, ancillary objective involved, you've got a net income this year, then that arg uh, argues for uh, a different approach in the telephone call. So how you tactically use the telephone, I think, is a, a, an important uh, consideration before you even start out uh, with the telephone campaign. What are your objectives? And hopefully your organization is on sound enough footing that you're able to take the long-term view in using the telephone uh, uh, in, in your campaign rather than that, that, that short-term view, let, let's just net as much money as we can now because we need it desperately. Yeah, and I think that strategy is, is very important. And, Steve, we're going to take just a, a little bit of a, a break. As our listeners know, over the last month we've been doing a uh, promotion with greennonprofits.org, and I do want to uh, get to that uh, promotion. When we come back, I do want uh, to focus in on uh, your Chapter 3 in your book uh, and specifically the prospect, as, as you just mentioned, you know, and, and who is the appropriate prospect? Is this for prospecting? Is this for renewals? Is this for, this for, uh, for upgrades? Where does this fit in an overall uh, fundraising program? And we'll come to that uh, when we're back here on page two with Steve Schatz. And right now we're going to move on to announcing the winner in the Green Nonprofits promotion.
Now, keep in mind, you can uh, learn more about the Green Nonprofits uh, promotion both at greennonprofits.org, clicking on the newsletter and reading in the archives, or just sign up for the newsletter and you'll learn about it in the next newsletter that will uh, actually go out tomorrow. Uh, you also will learn about it in the P2P fundraising newsletter. And I think that's where our winner today, Lindsay Davis. Lindsay Davis uh, from New Albany, uh, Indiana, is the winner of today's edition of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. A free edition will be on its way uh, to Lindsay Davis. This is a promotion uh, from Green Nonprofits sponsored by Santa Fe Aventus. So thank you so, so much for the folks over at Santa Fe Aventus allowing us in uh, this promotion uh, to help promote, support, and draw your attention to the important work of greennonprofits.org. Congratulations, Lindsay. We're heading back to page two. Steve, so we're back here, and I wanted to learn from you a little bit more. And in Chapter 3 of your uh, of your book, in Chapter 4, you speak specifically about who the prospect is, identification of the prospect, and introducing yourself. Where does this fit in an overall fundraising program most effectively for the average charity? Obviously, there's larger charities, outlier charities, who could make almost anything happen utilizing these tools. But here on the Nonprofit Coach, we're always interested in where do these tools work for the average charity? What's your advice? Well, uh, understanding your question, um, who is a prospect for your organization? Well, uh, you, you hopefully you're an organization that has a, a list, uh, a database of constituents, people who are in some way affiliated with your organization on some basis. Now, you know, the best uh, and, and strongest prospect is the constituent that is so involved with you that that constituent gives to your annual fund and or capital campaign on a regular basis. So, you know, that, uh, that those, those regular donors, that is the, the cream of your organization. And right, you're well, assuming that most charities do have that database, though, but right. who should they be calling in that database? Is it prospects, people who have never given? Is it people for renewal? Uh, is it upgrade to larger giving? What, what's the best strategy here for the average charity? Yeah, uh, looking at it strategically, um, if your objective in your, in your development program is to use your resources as cost-effectively to gain as many donors, either new donors or renewal donors, as possible. Um, I, I argue in the book that you want to approach your constituents in the first pass of your database with the least expensive uh, tools at your disposal, at, at your disposal to reach as many as you can. And I argue that today that that initial medium would be uh, email. If you have email uh, addresses for your constituents, and, and incidentally, this is an important uh, piece of information that if you don't have it in your database and you are making a phone call at the end of it, you want to want to see if you can't uh, get that email address from from the constituent, uh, you know, whether or not they refuse your your telephone uh, appeal or not. But you know, regardless, uh, if you have email addresses for as many as constituents as you ha as, as you as you have, and you do a, a, a well-grounded email campaign, you're going to get some result from that, and that return may be only two percent or five percent, or maybe uh, depending on the uh, quality of your constituency and your uh, prospect pool, it could be you know sixty percent or seventy percent. But regardless, you're going to have some remainder uh, that did not respond or for which you didn't have email addresses in the first place, then you can argue that the, the next most least cost uh, medium to reach as out to as many of those remainder would be direct mail. And here you have some uh, options and choices. You can uh, spend some extra money and personalize that, that direct mail or you can send out uh, more of the traditional uh, bulk mailing, which probably won't have as uh, 
as high a rate of return. But after that, you're going to have, again, some remainder. And as your budget allows, I mean, obviously you'd like to go out and, and meet and visit with each one of your constituents. That's just not feasible. So the next best final uh, option for you would be the telephone and to reach out to those people who were resistant to the direct mail, resistant to the email appeal, and reach them on a one-to-one basis in a, as personal a way as you possibly can. That so again, be, this, this topic of integration, that this is not a standalone tool, keeps, keeps coming up. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, uh, one of the most effective strategies I think that you can employ is that uh, overall budgetary uh, uh, cost strategy. And my advice in the book, depending on your objectives, but it's usually, this is usually the main one, is to reach as many people as you possibly can, giving them the opportunity to donate uh, using the least expensive outreach means first. And the most Steve, isn't that one of the, the hidden benefits of, of telephone outreach that you mentioned a little bit early ago, um, the, the ability to upgrade in a very personal way uh, your database and the value of that is often not taken into consideration when a phone call is being made. It's really just the bottom line, how much money did we get uh, and bring in, and these, these sort of intangibles that really are only possible in, in that direct communication that you're able to make. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's something that makes me sad is that so many organizations don't use the telephone uh, to it, its full effective potential. And um, I, I don't know if I use the, um, uh, the term, uh, you know, dragnet fishing, uh, that, that concept where uh, uh, that practice in the, in the oceans where uh, commercial fisher fishing factories actually just drag the bottom of the uh, of the ocean to scrape uh, clean as, as as many fish as they can, uh, really poisoning the ocean for for everyone else. The telephone ideally is an excellent opportunity for you to reach a constituent in a personal way, have a conversation, and get a lot of information that is going to be valuable to you in the long term in cultivating that constituent for renewed gifts and upgraded gifts. For example, um, let's say you're, you're dealing with, with uh, yeah, let's say you're your university fundraiser, you're making your, your, your calls to uh, uh, college alumni from the class of uh, 2000, and uh, you're making that call. Uh, you don't know. You only know from your database what their degree was, possibly, and what year they graduated. Wouldn't it be nice to know how are you doing? What are you doing now? What, what did you What did you go on to do since you graduated? And not only would that uh, establish a, a, a tie of, of legitimate uh, interest uh, and concern uh, by the organization to that constituent but also will give you some good, solid information and clues as to that individual's willingness and ability to make a gift. So, so uh, in, in that regard, you're, you're going to have a lot more information or intelligence about the, the propensity of that person to not only make a gift by phone, but to give a gift at all by listening and learning as much as asking. Correct. And not only not only that, but uh, in subsequent calls, let's say that that you have the capability in your telephone campaign to make note of these, uh, uh, you know, career paths and uh, what 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 person's profession is doing, uh, what profession they're in, uh, what their interests are. Uh, that's valuable information for next year's phone call so that that uh, communicator, which is likely to be somebody else on your staff, uh, has a basis upon which to launch the conversation. Oh, well, Mr. Smith, are you still, uh, are you still you know, working with uh, Citizens Bank? And uh, is that uh, uh, something that, uh, is that you know, uh, something that, that you're still enjoying and an uh, uh, enjoyable and fruitful career path for you? Um, 
one of the things that our clients most appreciated was the detailed notes that some of our uh, telephone fundraisers would make uh, as a result of their phone calls. As important to this, as the statistics were of a, of a given night, the number of people, the percentage of people pledged, what the average gift was, what the income was per solicitation, were the notes on what their constituents were thinking, what their feeling feelings were, if they had a strong opinion about something regarding the organization, if they had a beef, if they had a complaint. Very valuable information on, in terms of feedback that development officers can use uh, to solve problems, uh, open new doors to philanthropy, and better gear their campaigns in the future. Steve, I'm mindful of the uh, the time, and we do have an email uh, question that uh, came in from uh, Lauren in Columbus, uh, Ohio, and she's specifically asking, where do you get started? Is it volunteer-driven, uh, or do you hire a firm? Well, uh, again, I, I do deal with that somewhat in the book, but I think the answer to that question is, uh, you know, what can you afford? And... Uh, also, uh, what's the number and quality of your database? I mean, if you're only dealing with 1,500 uh, prospects or, uh, or fewer or, or maybe only a couple of thousand, it's probably not something uh, that uh, is going to be cost-effective for you to, to farm out to a, a professional firm. And... I think that you can get some idea of, of uh, what the giving potential is uh, by you know, doing a screening and analysis of your existing database and then trying out with volunteers uh, or trying it out with, with some of your development staff, uh, making a few phone calls and seeing uh, what the return is. If you have a, a, a database that numbers over 30,000, however, or in some cases of organizations a quarter of a million or a million, uh, uh, there, I think the question is and you're, uh, uh, not whether do I farm it out, but uh, do I need my own in-house uh, effort, uh, my own in-house organization, possibly with paid, paid uh, uh, telephone fundraisers to make these calls, or uh, can I more cost-effectively and then for a higher rate of return, uh, you know, sub it out to a uh, professional firm? So. Question is how many do you have to the answer is how many do you have to call? Uh, you know what's the quality realist? What's your budget? So that's really the the driving force, and 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 the the outcome of those two kinds of campaigns can be uh, dramatically different. Steve Schatz, I want to thank you so much for uh, for your time today. Your book is excellent. I want to make sure that before we run out of time today that I point out to our listeners that we will be back 12 noon next week here on the Nonprofit Coach with Gail Perry, uh, who will be here uh, with her book, Fired Up Fundraising. So don't miss that opportunity. And uh, my good friend, uh, Steve Schatz, uh, is a very, very interesting man, and I don't want to uh, have anyone uh, leave today and not know a few other things about Steve, uh, in addition to helping me launch the eFinance B Foundation successfully so and working with us for a number of years. Uh, he uh, also is quite skilled uh, in classical music uh, and was probably, arguably, one of the very first in the country to start a spinning class. Uh, yes, that's, uh, that's uh, in the gym, a spinning class, set to classical music. So, Steve, you're quite an interesting guy, an expert in telephone fundraising, and we do draw everyone's attention to make sure that they get a copy of Effective Telephone Fundraising, the ultimate guide to raising more money. Steve Schatz, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Ted. It's uh, been a real pleasure. Uh, if any of your uh, callers have any uh, questions uh, at all, they're, they're free to email me. And if any of them would like to be a guest in my spinning class, they're more than welcome here in Philadelphia. Uh, and that's in Philadelphia. Where do they email you, Steve? Um, Steve at EffectiveTelephoneFundraising.com. That's the title of the book. Steve at EffectiveTelephoneFundraising.com. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We will be back here live on The Nonprofit Coach next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern. Everyone, 
Have a great week. Thank Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.